Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. We are starting, Dennis and I are starting um, this morning uh, a sermon series. Uh, basically, it's about our identity. Who are you really? That's the name of the series. I'm preaching this Sunday, Dennis next, and then uh, the following Sunday, uh, Dennis will, or I'll preach again. And this morning, uh, I'm, I'm preaching, what are you? I know that may sound a little weird. What are you? What are you, anyway? Dennis is going to preach, who are you? And then I'm going to preach about, teach about, why are you? Those are three really, really super important questions. So what are you, who are you, and why are you? So this morning I want to talk about what are you? Why are you here? What's your purpose? You know, what, I mean, what are you really as a human being? And by the way, notice I didn't say human doing. We're human beings. We were created to be something. We used to run the Alpha course, and we may still again at some point, but the Alpha course was basically a, a, a class that started at Holy Trinity Brompton in London, England, by a guy named Nicky Gumbel, and it was a class about Christianity for non-Christians. It was wonderful, and we ran it for many years, and we saw many people come to Christ through the Alpha course. But they used to do their little advertisement. They would, Nicky would take a, a microphone and, and go out on the street, and you know he, he would interview the man on the street, the woman on the street, and, and we're talking about Britons, British, uh, Brits, okay, Brit, British people. We're talking about London, England. And these people, you know, he's, he's in a, a pretty high society area, and people have on suits and dresses, and, you know, they're really, really dressed to kill, and, and business people, and lawyers, and doctors, and all this, and, and he would go up to, he would take the microphone and walk up and say, uh, could I just ask you a question? And they're like, yeah, they why are you here on earth? What's, what's your purpose of being here? He put the mic in their face. I don't know if you guys ever watched Spongebob. <laughs> How many of you watch, have watched Spongebob? Do you know when, when the, the fish are confused and they blink their eyes and you hear that little bloop, bloop, they do that? That's how these people looked. Why are you here? Why do you exist? What is your purpose for being on earth? It was funny. It was, it was really interesting. And, and they would give the weirdest answers. One, one guy said, to make money. Oh, so that's your purpose for being on earth, is to make money. Wow, that's really an important purpose. One lady said, to stay sober. My entire existence is about staying sober. Well, my question to you is, why are you drinking in the first place? Like, like why is that a problem? Because... That's a symptom of something much deeper. Now, if you struggle with alcohol, welcome to the club. We struggle with all kinds of things here. It's just not your purpose for existence to be sober. If you, you, you get sober to fulfill your purpose for existence. Does that make sense? This dude had like, like, like he looked like the president of England. I mean, I don't know if I think it's prime minister, but anyway... Very 
you know, stiff upper lip, suit. And, and he says this, I never really considered that question. I never really considered the question of why I exist. I'm like, are you kidding me? You've never ever in your wildest, you know, in your entire life of, he looked like he was about my age. In 60-something years of life, you've never pondered the question, why am I on this planet? That's just mind-blowing to me. There's a statistic that's thrown around uh, that may or may not be true, but I have a sneaking suspicion it's probably closer to the truth than people would be willing to admit. America is known as one of the proudest countries in the world. We're the ugly American overseas, you know? It's like we have rights, and, you know, I, I've heard horror stories about Americans exerting their rights as Americans, you know, <clears throat> not wanting to stand in line in airports and so forth and so on. 85% of Americans suffer or struggle with low self-worth, low self-esteem. Anybody find that hard to believe? The 85% of Americans struggle with so low self-worth. Let me, let me just throw something out to you here. This is fascinating to me. I read this article. is Why is the world suffering from an epidemic of low self-esteem? Did, did you hear what I just said? Why is the world... It's not, it's not like asking the question, is the world suffering from... It says, why is the world suffering from an epidemic of low self... An epidemic is something that's like, kind of like you know, ingrained in the culture. Low self-esteem. And it says this, all of our self-esteem beliefs are formed in the first six years of life as a result of interactions we have with our primary caretakers, almost always our parents. Oh, isn't that interesting? My seminary professor, David A. Siemens, who taught pastoral care and counseling, said all it took was one pair of screwed up parents to bring this on the human race. I mean, this is, this is the way things are, folks. It says this, people who are described as full of themselves or who have too much self-esteem are people with low self-esteem who are trying to convince themselves and others of a worth they don't experience. So, you know, this says there are two kinds of people in the world, those with low self-esteem and those with, with high self-esteem. Well, if they're coming across like they have high self-esteem, it's because they're trying to compensate for the fact that they have low self-esteem in, in many cases. Now, there are people, and I know some people, that don't struggle with low self-esteem because they've settled things with the Lord. They have believed for decades what I'm sharing with you this morning. But listen to this. Low self-esteem is not limited to, quote-unquote, losers in life. A survey that makes this point crystal clear reported that many CEOs of billion-dollar companies had the fear that someday I'll be found out and they'll take it all away from me. Isn't that something? The point is, my point is, that the human race struggles with a self-image, self-esteem problem. And it started in the garden. It started in the garden. But that was never the intention of God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us wake up in the morning and the first thing we feel is anxiety about how we're doing, how we're performing, how we're living up to our own standards and the standards of God and 
our families and our employers, that little angst inside of us that's not quite sure we're okay. I'll tell you, folks, I'll be straight up with you. I've struggled with that for pretty much my entire adult life. When I was a kid, I really didn't care. I had good parents. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I did struggle with uh, esteem problems, and part of it was because how my unsaved father treated me. He wasn't horrible, but he put me down a lot because I struggled with, I think I, think I was struggling with ADD didn't know it that hadn't been even that term hadn't even come up yet but I was very and a very absent-minded kid and my dad was really sharp and 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 my my mom had a developmentally handicapped sister and my dad would actually call me her name when I was when I would have an absent-minded moment think Neil think use your head what's wrong with you and so I grew up kind of thinking there was something wrong with me. Those things don't just go away, guys. That's why we have integrated healing ministry training seminars, so we can deal with those, those wounds from the past. But anyway, let me move on here. I want to show you how this thing was really intended to start, okay? And, and I want to preface something. I just discovered something. You ever notice how God just put something in the Bible that you never saw before? I mean, it was probably there, but you never saw it. This week, I saw something in Genesis 1 and 2, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I'd never seen before. It never dawned on me that this was, this was written like this. I can quote, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Where is God's focus out of the gate. Where's his focus? What's he focused on? The earth. Why? Why is he focused on the earth? Let, let, let me give you a stat here. This is really interesting. There are a hundred million stars in the average uh, universe. So in the average universe, like our Milky Way, there are a hundred million stars. I mean, in, yeah, in a hundred million stars in the average galaxy, like our Milky Way galaxy, 100 million stars. There are two estimated 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe, 2 trillion. That's 2,000 billions of galaxies with 100 million stars. It's just really interesting to me that in Genesis chapter 1, God is spending like three-quarters of his time talking about this little planet. And then I think it's in verse 17, it says, and he made the stars also. <laughs> and he made the stars also. Two trillion galaxies, 100 million stars in each galaxy, and he made the stars also. Where is his focus? Here. Why? Because the, the universe is the ring and you and I are the diamond in the set of the ring. I, I, guys, I want you to hear this so clearly this morning. You are incredibly significant. In fact, your worth can't be stated. I'm going to attempt it this morning. Dennis is going to attempt it next week. I'm going to follow up the next week. But we can't, I can't even begin to explain to you how much you're worth and what you really are. 
but I'm going to try. Then God said in verse 26 of Genesis 1, right out of the gate, let us, the Father turns to the Son and says, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. So they, they may rule over. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop there because we're, we're created to rule. We're created in the image and likeness of God to rule. Here's what we're creating in the image of God to rule over this earth. It says in that second in verse 2, that the, the, the earth was formless and void. What, why is that? If God doesn't create, form, create formless and void stuff, does he? I believe that, I've heard this before, and I didn't really believe it up until recently, that when God kicked Satan out of heaven, and it was because Satan rebelled against God, why did he do that? Up until we were, God announced that he was creating us, up until he made this, let us make man in our image, I really believe, I mean, I really believe with all my heart, Satan, was, as Lucifer, an archangel, along with Michael, was the highest thing that had ever been created up until we were made. But the angels, it says in, in Hebrews 1, were, were made to serve us, the heirs of salvation. I believe when God announced that he was creating a creature, making a creature, in his image and likeness that would be above the angels, Michael said, sure, Lord, whatever you want. And Lucifer said, heck no. And a third of the angels joined him in the protest, and they were kicked out. There was war in heaven, it says in in Revelation 12, and they were kicked out. The dragon swept a third of the stars away, it says. That's a reference to the angels. Where did they end up? Here. Here. They ended up here. I believe that he just tore the you-know-what out of earth. And so it was formless and void. And then it says that God planted a garden in the middle, I mean, on the earth. He planted this garden of Eden, and then he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and he formed Eve out of Adam, and he created them male and female. He created them, we'll go to that slide here. God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them... And he put them in the middle of the garden and said, now be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Take this garden and just expand it all the way around the earth. Make the entire earth this paradise that I've started. You understand that? But that's not what happened, is it? Enter the snake, Lucifer, the, old, the serpent of old. It's called in Romans 12. He came in, he tempted Adam and Eve to do the same thing he did, to refuse God's will, to become like God. That's what Satan said, I I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will be like the Most High. You think you're going to create something like you, well, I'll be like you. That's what he was saying. I'm convinced of it. Well, this gets really interesting because I want to show you something here. So, So first of all, we're the crown of creation. You and I... God saves the best to last. He created everything, all those trillions of galaxies and billions and trillions and trillions of stars, and he created the earth and everything in it and all the, everything so that you and I could be put in place so, the, so that we would have a, a context, a setting to be created to, to inhabit and then to subdue this earth and make it a beautiful paradise. So you and I are the crown of creation. We were the last ones made. He didn't speak us into existence. He formed us with, a, with his hands out of the dust and breathed life, and he breathed his spirit into us, 
and we became a living being in his image and likeness. Well, this is interesting because look at this. In Genesis 5.1, it says, this is the written account of Adam's family line. Now, we know that Cain and Abel already did their thing. You know, Cain was the first son. He killed Abel. But let's look at what happened next. It says, when God created mankind or humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. Look at this next statement. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind, or I want to say humankind, to be inclusive here, when they were created. Next, when Adam lived 130 years after Abel had been killed, he had a son in his own likeness and image. Same exact words, same exact verbiage, and he named him Seth. Isn't that fascinating? The same words, the same verbiage. Seth was made in the image of likeness of God like Adam was made in the image and I mean, Seth was made in the image and likeness of Adam like Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. Well, I don't want you to think that this is just some weird thought because I want to look at the genealogy of Jesus. This is really, really fascinating to me. So, so, so Jesus comes to undo the curse, to undo the death, to undo all that destruction that Adam brought on the human race, Adam and Eve, when they sinned against, against God, and they died spiritually, and they birthed a race of spiritually dead people. Jesus comes as the last Adam. That's what Paul calls him over and over again, the last Adam, you should look at this in Romans 5 and, and then again in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the last Adam. Jesus starts a new race. 2 Corinthians 5, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have gone, the new has come. In Christ, our old Adam nature was nailed to the cross. Sin was put back on the tree. We were we died with him on the cross. We were buried with him. We were raised with him to live a new life in the spirit. And we are seated with him in heavenly places. Amen. Ephesians 2. Now look at the genealogy of Jesus, the God-man. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought. Of course, he was the son of God. He was the, the Holy Spirit put the seed in Eve, but Joseph was his earthly father. I mean, he, he was his dad, but not the one who conceived him. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So I just included in this genealogy just important names that you would probably know. This genealogy is really, really long because there were 14 generations from the flood uh, to something, the temple was being built or whatever, and then 14 generations from there to Something else, and then 14 generations from, Jesus, from that to Jesus, the birth of Jesus. So anyway, there's a long time that passes before Jesus comes on the scene. But now here he is, the last Adam. He's come to redeem us. And he was 30 years old when he began his ministry. And he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Levi, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, who was taken up because he walked with God, the son of Enoch, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. That's the genealogy of Jesus. There's no break in that genealogy between 
the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of Adam, the son of God. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? Adam was the son of God, right? And we're from Adam's race, but then we've been redeemed by the last Adam. What Adam lost for us, Jesus has restored. We are we are the children of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Now, I, I know that, you know, I'm a child of God, you know, uh, yawn, let's go eat, you know. I mean, I, guys, I know you've heard this a thousand times, but I want you to hear it, like, for the first time, what this really means we are the children of God. I want to, why am I using this like I'm speaking into it? I'm, I, I actually have this for a reason. I want uh, Derek and, and, and uh, Keenan Young to come up here right now. Come on up. I'm going to interview. The, I want you to understand what it means to be a child of God. So I want, I want you to see this modeled with, with Derek and, and Keenan. Derek is the dad, of course. You can tell by this. Great. Come on over here if you don't mind. Uh, and, and, and Keenan is his son, and I've known these guys for a long time. Keenan, why don't you stand right here, buddy? Because I'm going to go back and forth between you guys, so kind of move in here. So let me grab my questions. I've got these questions for you here. All right, so I'm going to talk to you first, Derek. I'm going to flip my mic on here. So, Derek, how do you feel about your son in, in general? How do you feel about him? Uh, we don't have enough time for that. I love him. Beyond words. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you how I love him so much. <clears throat> God gave a son to save you guys. I don't think I could do that with him. Amen. All right, buddy. Yeah. So, so how much is your son worth to you? You can't measure it. Okay. Um, if you had to, what would you do to save his life? Give my own. Well, what if it was like, like terribly torturous? And? <laughs> okay. okay, all right. So um, what can he do to cause you to love him more? What can Keenan do to cause you to love him more? Uh, he's already done anything that he could have ever done to make me love him as much as I do. Okay, and which was what? He's my son. Okay, all right then. Do you guys see what's happening here? So, so what could he do that would cause you to stop loving him? Nothing. No? No. no. Um, Axe murderer? No, Edie, Edie and I were... Uh, we raised him under the train up a child in the way he should go, yeah. and when they grow old, they're not to depart from it. Yes. We would take Keenan and Hannah to Cracker Barrel, uh -huh. and we would, with them, tell them to look around and see which table God is telling us to pay for their meal. Oh, wow, and that's we awesome. Would and, and we would talk about that. We would agree to it, uh -huh. and then we would, we would get the waitress over. Yeah. We would get that ticket. Yeah. We would pay that bill, and yeah. then we would just watch and try not to be caught watching. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. So, so I noticed you got some buttons popped off your shirt here because it's not, yeah. So, no, no, you don't need to pop. So, how proud are you, how proud are you of, of your son? I'm, you know, I'm so proud. He's the man I wish I could have been when I was his age. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and one final question for you, Derek. Do his achievements have anything to do with your love for him? Uh, no, Proverbs 22 says that the, uh, 
children's children are the crown of the aged, mm -hmm. and the children's pride is in the parent. Mm -hmm. And I have tried to live my life for mm -hmm. him mm -hmm. in the way God has lived his life for me. Wow. I'm, I, at a young age, realized for our children that my example to them will be their determination as to if God is real or not. Wow. Man, that's good. All right. Now I'm going to turn to the son here. So, Keenan, how do you know that your dad loves you? Each and every day. Uh, he's been there. Uh, you know, our family went through a really tough time. And, uh, yeah, my dad was there. So That's awesome, man. All right. So what privileges do you have with your dad that no one else has? Well, first and foremost, I'm the only one in this room that can call him dad. That's good. I like that. <laughs> in, in, this whole, in this whole globe that can call him dad. That's right, man. Um, you know, whenever, whenever I need him, he'll be there. Whatever mm -hmm. I need from him, he'll, he'll let me. <laughs> he'll help me out. Uh, can you, what, can what? you walk in this house anytime you want to? Yes. Can you raid the refrigerator anytime you want to? I, I can. All right. Can. Good. Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you think your dad, I mean, he just said he's proud of you. Do you really believe that? Yes, I do, because he tells me about every time he sees me. That's awesome, man. <laughs> do you think there's anything you could ever do to cause him to love you more or less? Um, so <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't think I could do anything to make him love me anymore. Mm -hmm. if, uh, if I could, well, um, we are expecting a grand, or he's expecting a grandson, so I think that might have gave me some brownie points. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Trust me, it's true. <laughs> but um, in terms of loving me less, um, no, there was actually a specific example in my life. I don't know if he remembers it or not, but I, I messed up uh, big time. And there was, uh, you know, him and I talked. Uh, it was just him and I. And um, he, he basically brought both of us to tears. And um, he said those words to me. He said, I, you, you can't do anything that can make me love you any less hallelujah awesome that's it can you guys give a <laughs> thank you so much guys <laughs> wow wow so that's kind of what it means to be a son or daughter of god because that's a reflection right there that's and, and, you know, however imperfect we are, that's about as good a reflection of God's love and, and, and our acceptance and reception of God's love as, as you, can, you can see on this earth. I mean, I, 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 I can't really add anything to that. We're the children of God, and that's how God feels about us. And that's what Lyndon was trying to tell us two weeks ago. In the chair, remember the chair over here? He, he said, you know, we're accepted in, in, in Christ, we, we, we are in God's love, and you know, over here is how we live it out, and you know, we screw up sometimes, and we mess up, and we, but we're growing, but we can always rest in this chair over here. He brought it up on stage and, and, and sat in it a lot, because that's the acceptance that, that Kenan has with his dad was illustrated in that time that he messed up, and, and his dad said, you can't blow it. You can't blow it. You can't screw this up. It's just awesome. All right, so it's interesting to me how Jesus really fills this out. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Which I, let me just say this for the record. I believe that what we call the Lord's Prayer is the disciples' prayer because the disciple says, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say this. 
John 17 is the Lord's Prayer when he prays for, to his Father for the church and for us. But in that disciple's prayer, he says, say, when you pray, say, our Father. That was a groundbreaking statement because the people of Israel never referred to God as their Father. They were afraid to say his name that they might be struck by lightning because of the, first, the commandment, do not take my, the Lord's name in vain. They were terrified of him. And Jesus comes along and says, when you, say, when you pray, say, Father, Papa, in heaven. And so when Jesus is resurrected, it's interesting. He says to them in John 15, the night before his death, up, uh, you know, you, you've considered yourselves servants. We might even say slaves. But now I've called you Friends. Because a, friend, a servant, a slave doesn't know his master's business. But I am, everything that the Father is telling me, I'm telling you. Everything the Father's revealing to me, I'm revealing to you. And so you're my friends. And I'm going to lay down my life. No greater love has anyone than this that he would lay, a man would lay down his life for his friends. So I'm, lay, I'm showing my love for you by laying my life down for you. And you are now my friends. But when Mary comes to the empty tomb and she's trying to find Jesus and she, said, you know, she runs into the angels and they say he's not here and she's, her tears, she's crying so hard when Jesus walks up she can't even see who it is. She thinks it's a gardener and she says, sir, show, show me where they've laid him and, and he says, Mary, and, and she recognizes his voice. And, and he talks to her for a moment, and he says, you know, don't touch me. I've not returned to the Father yet. But he says this, go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Two things I want to point out there. Go to my friends? Go to my slaves? No. After the resurrection, it's go to my brothers. He's never called them that before. And tell them I am returning to my father and your father, my God and your God. I'm your brother. I'm going back to Pop. I'm going back to Papa. It's just, it's amazing. And then I love this Hebrews 2.10. Listen to this. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, I don't want you to miss that phrase right there. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom and for whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through what he suffered he didn't jesus didn't become more perfect he just his obedience to the father was was our perfection he he perfected us through this both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family do you realize that we have been accepted into the, the family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? That, that's mind-blowing to me. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That's, that's just amazing. We're the brothers and sisters of Christ. So what does this mean? He says, I, I, I love this. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be just like Jesus. When we're 
You know, he says, he who began a work, and Paul says, he who began a good work, and he will complete it at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll be just like him. And God's going to have all these sons and daughters. He starts out with one, and now he has millions. That's what, that's what he wanted. God loves a big family. He wanted more sons and daughters. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now watch this. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What? Guys, what? this can't be overstated. It's, just, it's one thing just to be invited into the family. It's, it's, it's one thing just to to be a part of God's family, but co-heirs with Christ, which implies that everything that he gets, we get too. Right. Co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, we suffer in this world, in order that we also may share in his glory. That is mind-blowing. You know, there's a, there's a phrase that says, God will share his glory with no man. Well, that has a context. There's no place for pride. God opposes the pride but gives grace to the humble. But he intends to glorify his people. Read Hebrews, um, Hebrews read, read Isaiah 60, where it talks about how he's going to glorify his people in the end times. I believe that's coming, by the way. But we're going to share in his glory. We're going to be just like him. The Mount of Transfiguration is Jesus re re revealing his glory to his disciples. That's what we're going to be. I mean, there's many places in, in the New Testament that talks about us being sharing in his glory and being glorious, shining like the sun and the stars of heaven. We are co-heirs and co-regents. Co-heirs and co-regents. I'm talking about co-heirs today. I'm going to say the... The co-regent means that we rule and reign with him. I'll show you one scripture to do with that. 2 Timothy 2.11. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We're going to share in his glory and we're going to reign with him. I mean, nothing's held back. Nothing's held back. I want you to close your eyes because I'm closing now. I want you to close your eyes. Closing your eyes has nothing to do with closing. Let me close, but this is the last thing I'm going to do. I'm going to read something to you. I'm going to read a scripture, two verses, three verses, Hebrews 1, 3 through 5 in the Amplified. And then I'm going to read something from Baxter Kruger's book, uh, God is for Us. But I, I, want you to read, I want you to get this. I don't want you to be distracted by anything around you or anyone around you. I want you to hear this. Listen to this. This is from the Amplified. And Paul is so excited as he writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, listen to this, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Nothing held back. Just as in his love he chose us in Christ, he actually selected, it, selected us for himself as his own before the foundations of the universe so that we could be holy, set apart for him, and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us and lovingly planned for us to be adopted to himself as his own children through Christ Jesus. We lost our place in the fall. We regained it in Christ in accordance with the kind intention and good pleasure of his will. He had this worked out before the fall ever happened. You do realize that Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the universe were laid. Now listen to this. This is the quote from Baxter I want you to hear. This is so good. Just think about this. Soak this in. You and I are not here by chance. See, see science and evolution tells you that you're, you're the result of an accidental lightning strike in a, in a mud swamp someplace that created a, a proton molecule that turned into a one-cell animal that turned into a fish that turned into a monkey that turned, turned into you. And so you're just a freak accident of, na- of nature. That's what science would tell you these days. But listen to this. You are not here by chance, but by design. You are not accidents. You are creatures who have been created by God because he has had a plan which includes you, which includes us. When we stop long enough to ponder, our very existence is quite a remarkable gift to us. We were not, but God called us forth out of nothingness and gave us existence. He fashioned us and brought us here. But the Father never had any interest in our mere existence. He is telling us that before God created the universe, He determined that we should be filled and overflowing with His life, made participants in His life and His glory. The Father's eternal purpose for us is not that we should simply have existence but that we would be made participants of his very existence, baptized in his glory, immersed in his life. The eternal purpose of of the Father is to bring us not not just into existence, but into his house. And not just into his house, but to his table. And not just to his table, but to his right hand. And not just to his right hand, but into conversation with him. And not just into conversation, but into face-to-face relationship and fellowship with God the Father himself. But even here, we have not come to the glory of it. For this fellowship is not simply about face-to-face conversation or side-by-side relationship. It is about the meeting and sharing of souls. It is about such a profoundly personal sharing of life that we are to be in God and God begins to be in us. A mutual indwelling. Paul is talking about being ushered into a fellowship of God that is so close, so intimate, so deep, so real, so alive that everything God the Father is, everything he has, all his treasures and glory are shared with us personally. Now get this line right here. The Father has destined nothing short of himself as our inheritance. Let me say that again. The Father has destined nothing short of himself as our inheritance. Now, the last, the last line. He has given us existence for the sole purpose of bringing us into profound intimacy with himself, an intimacy in which God's very being and life and joy pass into us and become ours, one with God for eternity. Drop the mic. Guys, think about what that means. How glorious. 
How amazing, how unbelievable, how incredible, how you and me, not just children, not just brothers and sisters, but one with the eternal God for eternity. He's created us to live with Him for all eternity in this intimacy that we can't even describe or imagine. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.